Well, first and foremost, I have to say, thanks a ton for doing this. I'm sure we've got lots of stories to hear, but uh, it's not every day we get the first ever pick of the Belleville Bulls on the OHL podcast. Dan Quinn, thanks for being here. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. What was it like when this team that was brand new in this Ontario Hockey League called your name with its first ever selection? Well, there's a couple stories to that. You know, I tell, I always tell kids and I have a son at 16, it's kind of somewhat going through a little bit in the golf is, you know, I played that junior B year. It happened so fast. I went from playing two years up in midget at 14. I was a June birthday. Got a call that summer to come try out for the London diamonds um, that, um, you know, following was Dave Simpson had played for and in London and uh, Craig Simpson followed me a year after, but uh, I kind of, uh, I was surprised, but I made the team and I was, you know, I got tons of ice time right away and you know, things had just kind of evolved. I grew a little bit. I was faster than most of the guys, you know, junior B was 18, 19 year olds. I was 15, a young 15 year old. And uh, next thing you know, I'm getting these rankings that I'm going to be a first round pick in the OHL. Um, and then the final one, it was, you know, by March, <laughs> I'd, I'd really come on and started to play well. And we, we played, we won our little division and we lost, I think St. Catharines and what else we're going to this provincials. But, um, but I was doing almost like a you know, point and a half, two points a game as a 15 year old in that league. Actually, you know, I'm first overall pick and, you know, get a call that you're number one ranked. So we go to Toronto and um, got a call in the hotel room the Friday night before that Belleville was going to in fact pick me. It wasn't like anything that's gone on now as far as interview process and whatnot. They basically trusted the rankings. I'd never met them. Uh, they spoken to my dad, I believe, but uh, yeah. So we went, I think it was at the York arena. Uh, as I was walking in, I remember you know, a couple things. Um, the uh, Dale Howarchuk had just won the Rookie of the Year in the NHL, I believe, and he was standing outside with Gus Bedali to, you know, probably meet some of us high draft picks for the future of Gus's book of business. And uh, so I remember getting picked, and I, grown up and came, I'd moved from Ottawa to London and had, had met and uh, befriended with and worked and competed against, but worked and befriended Steve Eiserman, who was taken fourth overall, and then. The first goal he picked in the third round was my friend from seven years old, Darren Pang, by the Belleville Bulls. So, you know, we hadn't seen each other since we were 12, 12, like had not seen each other. You know, there's back then there's no cell phones, no way to communicate, um, follow each other. Next thing you know, we're teammates and couldn't wait, couldn't wait for August to come around. What was it like for you making that transition? You talk about Junior B, you're putting up almost two points a game. So did the OHL come kind of easily to you? No, the, so the two, couple of things on that that I learned uh, that summer, I'd still, and I, we may touch on it, I was pretty active in golf at 16. Um, that summer, I qualified for the Ontario Amateur, and anybody that knows golf, uh, Gary Cowan won it. So what that means, you know, I was a 16-year-old, but I played against accomplished amateurs in, in, outside of Toronto, and I made the cut. It was in July, and I remember, and I went to the Ontario Junior. So my summer was spent trying to play competitive golf and, and probably didn't do all the working out I needed to. I did go to Belleville early and do some um, do some hockey school, but as a 150 pound kid, uh, it was it was a it was a learning experience about the fitness uh, of hockey and the extra work I was going to have to put in. I never really got on, you know, as the, as the year went on, I had I think I scored 20 goals, but I I just didn't feel like I, I was always kind of cautious and and uh, had a I didn't feel like I dominated at any point. Let's put it that way. So it was uh, it was it was whereas you know my second year from the from the start of the camp which we can get into next. Uh, it was a pretty fun story because that summer, after my second year, Wayne Gretzky bought half the team and coached an exhibition game. And you know, I scored three goals from him in an exhibition game. Larry Mavity came up and almost killed me. He says, you never played like that for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so coming back to it, it was um, a learning curve again, very thin. You know, you're playing against men, 19, 20, 18, 19, 20 year olds. Um, and I'll, and I'll, Give you this one, even though you probably get a lot of questions, but my first ever, we, we played three games in Belleville, believe it or not, won all three in our first three games as an expansion team. We had a very, very hard, tough team. Mav, you know, Mav, we had, I had Marty McSorley from day one, played two full years of junior with him. We picked up Craig Cox, but there's Ali Buderax and a guy named Craig Kitchener, Ben Kelly. Um, we had about half dozen really tough men uh, to go into, you know, so guys like us could fly around. Our first game ever on the road was in Kitchener against your Memorial Cup champions, the team with Bellows and McGinnis and uh, Grant was it? wait. I mean, I can't go on and on, but Tim Higgins, you had so many guys uh, that went on to play in the NHL, Wendell Young and Nett. Well, in warm-up, guys kept going over each other, center ice, center ice. Next thing, you know, we got a 20 on 20. 
no refs. My first ever road game, 150 pounds. I'm like, oh my God. So we had like just held on for dear life. I think there was three five on fives in the first 10 minutes. So there was like three guys on the bench. So there was nowhere to hide. And uh, it was a, it was just a nightmare. I was hoping, I was lucky to get on a couple, one five on five where I got 10 minutes in the box. I was like, oh, thank God. Cause it was brutal. But that was my indoctrination to a road game in the, in the OHL on a Friday night in Kitchener, Ontario. I'll tell you what, it's a different game, or it was a much different game back then in the early 1980s than it is today. Well, it was right, you know, I, we, you know I'm friendly with Wayne Gretzky and guys, we played in era, and we now call it stupid. Um, it's just stupid. It was barbaric. Um, when you look at the way the game has cleaned up, um, you know, the, the voice of a few guys when they got into retirement and ownership, I think in, in a Mario Lemieux and guys like that, that, I mean, I watch stuff, Mario, but Wayne, Wayne, because of his... <coughs> Obviously, everybody said he got protected. He, you know, we got hit. Guys, guys like us that had the puck, I always say we got killed. You know, we they could two-hand you, slash you, punch in, you know, push your head into the glass. It just was part of the game. Uh, but a guy like Mario Lemieux, who was 6'4", they, the refs, you know, they, if they did it to me, though, they would get a penalty or Wayne or a LaFontaine or Steve. It would look because if we're 5'11 and six, or six feet, but frail. But a guy like Mario, they expected him to take it. And if you think of the abuse he took, the guys just basically hooking him and, cross-checking him because he was and the refs sort of say you got to take it because you're big and I think in, in retirement and ownership he uh he really helped clean this league up the last 20 years and while I was a, was not a fan of the officiating early on uh, it was too much I think it's gotten to a nice point now so you mentioned and and I didn't know this Wayne Gretzky bought into the Belleville Bulls back in the day Belleville Bulls 1982 he bought half the team for I think $250,000 I have a picture of if I can get it on here quickly uh, of him and I, he came to remember Dr. Vaughn was our owner. Yeah. And uh, so there's Wayne and me, I'm 17. He's 22 <laughs> with the Belleville Bulls jury in the, on a house on the Bay of Quinty in Belleville, Ontario. So he came, he, he came and skated uh, on his own before he went out to Edmonton because NHL camps were traditionally a week or 10 days later. And uh, he coached an exhibition game in Belleville Um which I, I still remember because it was him and, and his best friend from uh, Brantford, Johnny Mowat, who's, whose dad was a scout for the Bulls. They were on the bench and uh, had full reign of it. And we I forget who we played, but I know I got three goals. And he still talks about it, too. You mentioned Mav giving you a hard time because you never played that well for him. What was it like playing for the legendary Larry Mavity? You know, Mav was, uh, uh, you know, he wasn't an X and O guy. I remember I went to camp and, that year that I got drafted, I came, they sent me back and I tried to do some X and O stuff with him. He goes, ah, but from, uh, from my standpoint, the first year, like I said, he had to get on me a little bit. Um, second year, I just looked at him if I wanted to go on the ice and I got to play with whoever I wanted to. And he was great to me, always great to me as long as I and didn't expect me to do anything, you know, that I wasn't capable of physically or fighting, just play hard and, you know, produce. So I not give 150 or 59, 60 points that second year with 60 goals or 59 goals. And uh, we made the playoffs as an expansion team second year. So we made the playoffs and lost two the, uh, and beat one game, but we lost to the uh, Tony Tanny, Tony Tanty, Dave Anderchuk, you know, John McClain, uh, Oshawa Generals, and they actually won the Memorial Cup that year as well. So it was a pretty good feat um, to make it. But, you know, we had a lot of great stories. I always tell, you know, I played with some some good players that had good OHL careers, but I didn't play with any NHLers other than Marty and Marty McSorty and Craig Cox. So that speaks to the, you know, the group that we had, but I played with some fun guys, uh, John, uh, there's Dave McLean and Mark Hagerty. I can remember a few guys that, you know, played and produced and uh, was some, uh, good defensemen that played and produced. So we had just a good group. It was fun. Belleville was a fun place uh, in those first two years. Yeah. I always enjoyed it on the circuit here in the OHL and, I missed it a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Does it make you sad that the Belleville Bulls are no longer in the Ontario Hockey League? Yeah, it's surprising. I know it's in a corridor where there's, you know, it's in the middle of nowhere. Kingston's there and the Toronto area is kind of pushed towards them. So I don't know enough about the economics or how they draw, drew. Uh, I do know that that rink is probably archaic for, uh, you know, this, I see the uh, one in London. I, you know, I follow these teams now that have these seven, 8,000 seat arenas and fill them. So the economics and the ownership value, the, values of these franchises is unbelievable. So um, in any case, yeah, it's pretty cool uh, to see them doing the, uh, um, I guess the Ottawa centers farm team, but um, yeah, it's, it's a shame. And a little bit, I go back now that I do some of these podcasts to get nostalgic and there's really, 
I, only, only, the only disappointment I have in Darren Pang and I talked about it, they never, ever asked me to come back. Um, and it wasn't me. They never asked any of us. They didn't think that way. You know, I'd see Mav or talk to him in the summer for a beer, but they never said, here's our first overall pick, first NHL draft, first round draft pick from the Belleville Bulls that ever happened. But they never, ever, ever had me back. But it never asked me to come back to do something kind of cool. It would have been for sure. Well, I'm glad we get a chance to at least have you back on this podcast, which covers the Ontario Hockey League and gets us these trips down memory lane. And you were just talking about that second season. You were a two point a game guy, Dan. And yeah. all of a sudden you're well, going and again, then again, playing in a you know, pretty, you know, we're, we're making playoffs. It was, it was, I remember doing interviews too. There was, there was questions. It was about game winners and power play points and stuff. And when the NHL guys came around that summer to do some interviews, which was again, nowhere near what they do now. But uh, <clears throat> and then I say this, cause I'm curious what the, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I was, I was looking, I forgot when I came back, I went to Calgary, a very experienced team from Kent Nielsen, Doug Riseborough, Jim Poplinski. I mean, Lanny McDonald, Hawken Lube was going to be a rookie, but Mike Eves, there was, it was a real tough lineup for me to try and crack. Um, so they sent me back down, had a really good camp kind of fell off as you know when you go there and you're there for two weeks and you're not getting nice time they're used to in games or conditioning so I kind of went back and I didn't play great the first five six games in Belleville but I think it, I saw something the other day I had t- 23 games before they called me back up and I never came back 24 goals and 59 points so I think that I was probably going to go on a cl- close to 250 point year type thing you know very very easily um, but again that was never to be seen I got called up in uh 23 games in, I believe it was first week of December and I played in Quebec. Um, and then I went down to, we went down to uh, Washington and got beat. We lost in Quebec badly, but then I played in Toronto and the coach decided to give me a lot of ice time. My first ever game in Maple Leaf Gardens. And I actually I played a ton, played right to the end of the game and, you know, got out to Calgary, started scoring and then never came back. I, I want to go, I, I want to talk more about that NHL debut, but before we get there draft day for you, Dan, was in the Montreal Forum in 1983. That's pretty yeah. special in and of itself. What do you remember of draft day? I remember quite a bit. I went. Through, I remember from the night before, we went up Friday, went to a Pirates Expos game. I remember we crossed paths in the celebrity golf circuit years ago, years later. Rick Roden was a pitcher for the Pirates. Um, so I remember quite a lot um, getting up, getting up, going to the rink. Um, again, I mean, I can talk. I don't know how much one of the guys, I saw his joke, so... Uh, I was born in Ottawa, moved to London, but my family, when I went to play Belleville, moved to Brockville. So um, I was in Brockville for that summer. Although people, sometimes it shows me that I'm from there, but I was never, I never really lived there except for a couple summers, but um, the scouts would do their Ontario corridor and they just get off the 401 and say, can you meet me at McDonald's? And they talk to you for half an hour. Then they get, go to the next town, talk to the kids in Kingston that were going to be drafted or Peterborough. And uh, so I remember by that point I'm making is I knew I was going to be drafted. I quite served by Washington, 14th overall, worst case. Uh, I knew Calgary had a little bit of, had called or did a couple inquiries. And the team, I kind of wanted to go to Toronto for some reason. I thought it would have been cool, but, you know, being right there in their backyard for a, a number of years. I think they picked Russ Cordell seventh or eighth. Um, but then otherwise, I thought for sure, sh- I was kind of hoping for New York, even though they had never really talked to me and they took Dave Gagne. So Calgary took me 13th overall and uh, it was a treat to play once I got established out there, there, there was good and bad, but uh, it was a great city for to start your career. You mentioned Steve Eiserman before, and didn't the two of you have a little uh, connection, reconnection on draft day too? Good, yeah, it's a good story. So we, I'm um, sorry, I got distracted there, but we, um, so we got picked. He got picked by uh, Detroit, obviously, and then um, we decided to. We had talked to this guy from Titan, and he said, "You guys." want to go and we met him the night before so and I said to Steve you want to go so we went I think it was in Victoriaville where they're where they made the sticks and they that was my first ever pattern of you know Dan Quinn pattern Steve Eisen got it we got exactly made to the way we wanted uh, the two of us hopped on a train went back to uh, I actually stayed at his his parents house that night on that Saturday then my my mom's family was all in and around the Ottawa area in Almont so I went there on the Sunday so I remember every part of the trip in the day 1983 like uh, I don't know the date but it was 1983 when it was a fun time. And <clears throat> I did some, um, Steve was very, as he is now, he was, <clears throat> I had a few other distractions <laughs> in my life. But Steve was very focused. He was already working out like they do now, maybe not as hockey specific as they do now, but he was dedicated and into it so bad, so much. And it, you know, shows in the career that he had. 
So you mentioned a moment ago, it was that NHL game in Toronto where you got some ice time, started kind of maybe feeling it, so to speak, in the NHL. But you went directly out of junior. I think you had played a game in Cornwall and then boom, the next night you're in the National Hockey League getting called up by Calgary. When did you feel as though it was, you know, you belonged there, you were fitting in there? Um, that game in Toronto, you know, I just, I just started, I used to always have the simple, the, the, for a skilled player, I always said, and I tell this to kids, I did tell this to other guys, you know, I, whenever I want to think about trying to play a skilled player, I never played well. Whenever I said, I right, just go, maybe they'll let me kill a penalty and I could get my legs going. And I talked to Gretz about it and he told them for McDavid, and I see he's killing penalties now. That was the funnest time for an offensive player to really get into it and just keep the game simple, chase the puck. There's no rules get in front of it. And then if you got a chance to, to rag it, you know, you kind of got, it made everything else kind of flow. And then, uh, but that game in Toronto, I got to kill a penalty. I never forgot. And I kind of got my legs going and had a decent game. <clears throat> the first game, I actually, we got blown out. So we, uh, I got some ice time in the second and third and, um, but my legs were kind of seized up. You know, I've been sitting on the bench like this. Um, they timed it. I knew and I had an idea. They'd come to see me. They played in Detroit. Calgary did. Um, they were starting to, they were below 500 and, um, I remember Al Coates and, and Pierre Page, an assistant coach, came to uh, that dark old barn in Windsor. But uh, I, I think I got three and two, and we won six two. And so it was. Uh, they come down to the room after, and I they were like, "Did you know we were here?" I said, "Nope," and I didn't. So uh, they just thought, you know, "Did you play hard because we we're here?" You know, that, that, that's kind of question. And I think it was about a week later they'd called Mav and said we're just going to call him up for three games. When you're in Cornwall, have him come to Quebec, Washington, Toronto. We'll drop him off. He can go back to Belleville. And uh, I never came back. Incredible. You end up playing with the Calgary Flames, obviously in the height of Battle of Alberta. What was it like in the midst of those honest to goodness battles? I get goosebumps when you bring it up because you talk about barbaric. As much as it was some of the best hockey and greatest players ever to play. So, you know, for anybody's hockey historian, bear with me. Um, if you think my first year, 83, 84, uh, we go seven games against the Oilers in the second round and they win their first cup against the New York Islanders, who I think did what will never be done before that's never spoken of. They won four, but they went to five straight finals, you know, so Stanley Cup finals that beat up old Trache, Bossy, uh, Potvin, you know, those guys, Tonelli, Nystrom, all went to five straight finals. If you can imagine how long those years were back in the day, flying commercial and, and on and on. So we lose to Edmonton in seven-game series. as my first year. I got a point a game in the playoffs as a rookie, 18 years old. And, you know, you kind of take for granted you're going to do this every year. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we come back the next year. The Smythe division at the time was Edmonton, Winnipeg, Calgary were three of the top four teams in points. Unfortunately, the way the playoff system was set up, we were going to play each other and two of us were going to be gone after two rounds and Winnipeg beat us uh, second, first round, first round. Yeah. They beat us in the first round. We played them. I think, yeah, it was first. No, we, yeah. First round we were gone. So it was pretty shocking. And we came back the next year and went to the finals. Um, so I look at it two ways. It was great to be in that. And I'll get to the rivalry. It was great for me, but it was also, I mean, that was a lot to be thrown into at 18, 19, 20 and, and, Unfortunately, I idolized Wayne. You kind of had to hate him. You know, I, I, I say that, but you had to. And they, they hated every, we, everybody hated each other. You know, it was very, it was very barbaric. So if you go to the, if you go to the way the old days, and I know there's teams, there's been stuff about Avalanche and Detroit and it's similar, but we were in the same division. You would do two exhibition games. You play each other eight times in a regular season. So that's 10. And then we play seven game series, two in my thir first three years. That's 17 times against the same hockey team. And back then, if you get down 5-1, you know it was going to get ugly, you know, and that would happen two, three, four times. Playoff games, you know, one team was winning 5-1, just a brawl. It was just going to be, these guys are going to, Don Jackson, Poplinski, Hunter, Semenko. It was all McClellan, Baxter. I could, we could go through it. Gretz and I were talking about it as fantasy camp. You know, you think about it, it's just, it, it's just putting men in, it's going to be a war, you know, so. But if, whenever there's a bench clear, I always try to find him or Yari Curry, just make sure we were good. <laughs> <laughs> You stay in touch with Wayne to this day. I talked to him yesterday. Yeah. You see how he did. He was down in Miami at the live event. He, he uh, because I live in the area where his grand his grandkids, Dustin and Paulina's kids are. So we reconnected about seven years ago. Uh, <clears throat> he didn't know he knew some people, but you know, Darren Pank said, Hey, Gretz is down there. So I told him my number and we talked and we ended up having a couple of beers and playing some golf and been doing that. And then he's now called Florida home for a year now. He's, he's moved, sold out of California and been down here. He ties here with his granddaughter and the two, two boys, obviously, live right here. So I live five minutes from where their house is. 
we're going to talk more about golf for sure. But since we're on this subject and you mentioned you played golf with him the other day, I know how good your golf game is, Dan. Did you beat Wayne on the golf course? Wayne beat me the other day, but uh? no, I, Wayne plays, Wayne gets embarrassed when he plays. He shot like two under in the front and that corner, I never play like this, but he was fine. Played with Clark, Clark MacArthur, who's uh, done very well after hockey, much better than I, you know, from connecting. And, you know, obviously they made some good money, but he's, he's, they're all a member at this golf course called the Grove 23, which is Michael Jordan's baby down here. And we played Keith Yandel, who's in his first year of retirement. But, uh, you know, Wayne's become, you know, I don't know in sports has ever seen it, an ambassador of just beyond, you know, just beyond. So, um, he's, uh, and he's been, he's generous to a fault and it's been fun. So I played at a high level for a while. I don't play that great now. So, but Clark, Clark MacArthur plays well. And, and, uh, and I'll, I'm going to get back into it. I'm just going to spend a lot of time with a 16 year old son. So I do a lot of time with him. Okay. We will, we will talk more about golf, but I want to go back to, uh, you, when you, when you talked about the Islanders and going to five straight championships, winning four of them, uh, Edmonton could have, it was awfully close. They won their four, but it was interrupted, obviously, after that second seven-game series you had against them when you beat them in that second one. Uh, after getting past Edmonton that year, did you kind of know that this is the team that can do it? Yeah, and then and, and I get into it. It's, if it's selfish, it might be. But I always say Badger Bob is one of the best, you know, X and O's, coaches, um, you know, structure and – did stuff. He brought a lot of modernization into the game early on, uh, but he was an American, an American coach in a Canadian league in a Canadian city. <clears throat> and uh, one of the people said, what do you mean by that? He struggled coaching talent. And then uh, we, we got past Edmonton that year. And, and think about this. We had uh, our right wingers. We had, so we went and played St. Louis. Everybody didn't know, you know, some guys had roles, the older veteran guys, he was never going to screw with them, but the, some of us didn't know how much we were going to play, especially skilled players. And, um, we had our right wingers were Joe Mullen, uh, Lanny McDonald. Um, we had Mark Patterson, Tim Hunter, but we also called up Brett Hall. He had, it was his first year. So we go to the finals and we got Brett Hall playing his first ever national hockey league game. <laughs> we just did a lot of stuff that we didn't need to do against uh, that Montreal team that I you know, felt, you know, we could have possibly done uh, differently and, and beaten them. But Montreal had a good team. And there was that first year for Patty Roy and Claude Lemieux. They made, they played big parts of that. And, uh, you know, we, I scored the game winner in game one shorthanded. Uh, and then we lost four straight. We lost that real quick overtime game. Um, they scored eight seconds into overtime in the second game. And then we went back, lost two in Montreal. And that was it pretty much. It's back in Montreal, though. So the, the place that you were drafted just a few years earlier, there you are as a 20-year-old competing for the Stanley Cup in the most fabled arena in the in the game of hockey. Uh, did, did you get – I mean – how, how did you keep yourself in the moment in situations like that? You know, it's, it's a good, that's a good question. Cause if you look, I look back on it, you know, the, the days off, the thing about playoff hockey is some of us that play, we talk when I talk to, you know, I still, I'm name dropping you, but Paul Coffey or Wayne, you know, the teams that you see have six, eight, seven games in between series. It's very hard to know how, how hard to train and be stay rested. And whereas during the season, you never, you just kind of go when you're always working out. So the days off were the toughest things, knowing how much to do, what to eat. You know, we didn't eat like the guys do now. We didn't have chefs, you know, you know we had team meals, but you know, did a lot of walking around. But um, I went to the Montreal Forum as a kid. It was like the Yankee Stadium for me. It, you know, I'm from Ottawa. Um, never, you know, Maple Leaf Gardens was, I played in as junior. It was Maple Leaf Gardens. But the, the Cathedral of Hockey to me was Montreal. Um, I remember playing there in our first, my regular season games, you know, finding the great little restaurants, these little, diners that were legendary the guys have been going to since the 50s and 60s and, and the history of hockey the banners everywhere uh, the acoustics in the old forum uh, they dressed you know the most most guys were dressed like you are you know the lapel sometimes with the you know the hats and you know, they just it wasn't it was just a great great experience and um it was great for an all canadian final too so it was kind of fun you mentioned uh, bob johnson badger a moment ago and and as i understand it he was if if he did have trouble with the talent, he certainly was a guy that was bringing the importance of fitness into the game, perhaps ahead of most. Very true. Yeah. So my first camp, I didn't know they would do it, but we went and um, he put the whole week. And so <laughs> funny story. I mean, now if you see it, they have these, these training camps are so well organized where there's, you know, there's a rookie camp and then the veterans come in, there's only 25 guys. Well, back then they had so many guys on their minor league contracts. We had 70 guys at training camp. Like, so you have, you have four full hockey teams and then you have full scrimmage and then they'd cut after two days, but you have two days of scrimmages, you know, 20, you know, 17, 18 guys on each team. 
basically and um cut but the, we went there and our fitness day we ran the calgary stampede horse track <laughs> we ran it and had to do two miles i believe or twice around in that sandy you know clay and uh and then you know the next year we then they you know he was first i think to introduce the mvo2 which is the bike test it's a very good you know how much how hard you worked all summer what your you know oxygen levels and your recovery levels are uh push we first one we did gretz will tell you <laughs> You hear Jamie Hislop did like 140 push chin-ups or uh, sorry, sit-ups one day or 300 or something like that. And it got up, it got in the paper and Glenn Sather goes, Gretz, what are you doing? This kid down there in Calgary just did 300 sit-ups. He goes, yeah, well, see how he does on the breakaways or something, you know, some smart ass comment like that, but <laughs> um, not smart ass funny, but uh, yeah, no, we did a lot. It was very, uh, Gary, I tell a pretty cool story about this. Gary Roberts was the first, first round pick in, I was 83, I think 85. So his first training camp, and it's funny to see what he does now, he couldn't do a chin-up. So he'd gone to Ottawa's camp and came and went like this, and that was it. And I went, you know, it doesn't make you a good hockey player, but they really care about fitness here. And if you look at what he ended up becoming, sort of the fitness go-to guy for the, for the league after. He went sent back and, right, I mean, they didn't keep him around long. And he went back, and then <clears throat> I think he, he got hurt as well to, to prolong his career. So, But fitness became very, very, very important to him, and that's, that's a true story. He, if he'll, uh, he'll, he won't deny it. <laughs> yeah and look at the turnaround so he can it, it's probably easier to admit to that now when you are the fitness guru right yeah yeah no kidding and and you train some of the best players like stamkos and whatnot like they come to see you the, how do i train you know so it's funny but that's a true story but yeah it was uh <clears throat> it's it's something that i wish you know would have known i wish i had the information they have now we didn't have hockey specific training like they do now for somebody like me like 170 75 was a was a good weight and it was hard to keep weight on but to have the chefs and then, uh, but more importantly, what to do after a game recovery wise and what these guys do now, I think, you know, we, we just didn't have any, any idea. And we flew commercial for till basically early nineties. So you're sitting, you know, 18 ABCDEF, 19 ABCDEF, you know, with big men, a uh, lot of fun times playing cards and stories and joking and, you know, hungover and whatnot, but it was, uh, it's interesting what they got now to what we, you know, how we did it. One of the other stops in your NHL career, of course, was with the Pittsburgh Penguins and Mario Lemieux, even Yager at one point. You had both of them. Uh, but we, we talked a little bit about Wayne and the connection you still have with him. And you, you've referenced Mario before. But what's it like being a teammate of a guy with that level of ability? Yeah, I was, you know, we're keen to see what uh, a couple of things, you know, that happened in his career, his development. But I was he was unbelievable. I still say when over, you know, around a bar, when you talk about. Wayne, the top three guys were Wayne, Bobby, and Mario, and you can throw them in whatever order you prefer, in my opinion. You know, I know the modern guys are spectacular, some of them, and it could change, but um, it's just the way that kind of conversation goes. But uh, Mario is the greatest hockey player I've ever seen still to this day. If he played today with the, you know, the level of fitness, the nutrition, you know, uh, the, the, the rules where he could just, I mean, he was, so he was faster than anybody ever realized his hands, his size. I mean, his size could still compete with these guys now. So, and, you know, Wayne had the greatest career and, you know, Bobby, I think if he just stayed healthy and had different circumstances, he changed the game and did stuff that nobody else ever did, you know, early on. So, but yeah, Mario was spectacular. Um, the biggest thing that happened to him, to be honest, Mike, so my first year is 86. I got traded there. Um, he had a great year, played good, but the team I got there from going from Calgary and Badger, we didn't wear shoulder pads or helmets in practice. I was like, what? You know, I'm sitting there, we strapped up helmets in Calgary. Like, there's no such thing, you know. So, um, so it was very casual and laid back, completely old school, like way old school compared to the way uh, Calgary was. Um, and I remember we were getting skated one time and I lapped everybody, including Mario. And he was like, what are you effing doing? I said, guys, I don't know where you think I was these last three and a half years, but there's a group, guys just north of Calgary, that are pretty freaking good and they don't dog it out here. And that summer was the 87 Canada Cup. And he went and played with Messier and Gretzky and, and the whole crew. And he saw how hard you have to work. And he came back in such good shape and he lapped all of us. None of us could ever catch him when we were getting skated. And I said, look out league. And he had an unbelievable year. Um, and in fact, somebody for guys, I don't know how old you are, Mike, but it's one of the greatest YouTube 11, 12 minute highlights is pull up team to Canada cup, uh, 1987 Gretzky Lemieux when they put them together. It's a, it's a highlight of all the goals. It's really good 12 minute YouTube video. You know, it's funny. You remind me, we had a chance to have the late, great Dale Howarchuk uh, on this podcast some time ago, and we 
we had the conversation. He took that face off, obviously, in the defensive zone that sprung Wayne and Mario for the, the big winning goal. And uh, Howard Chuck still says he, he even admits to maybe cheating a little bit, but having a conversation before that face off, I'm just going to kind of box him out and you pick up the puck and off you go. And he kind of lost went. it, but then he hooked, he hooked the, he hooked the centerman that was going to exactly chase, yeah. a little hook. And then Mary was able to tip it up to Wayne and that was, and that was the separation they needed. Um, but yeah, he definitely didn't really win the face off. He kind of lost it, but they put on the scrum, he'd give a guy a little hook. So it's all in that. It's a great video and Dale's got a lot of points in there. So it's a great little YouTube for you and your listeners. I, I think it's, I watch it every now and then with a glass of wine because it's just fun to watch. <laughs> That's fantastic. And, you know, Dan, it makes me think when you talk about uh, the differences from Calgary when you get to Pittsburgh and, and, and how the practices were. But it sounds like, and we hear this from guys on the show from time to time, when you got to practice like you play. And, and you have to take the practices seriously if you're going to continue performing at those highest levels. Well, there, yeah, there was a, there's the mix there, right? So then you got some teams, you know, freaking Ken Hitchcock, when I get to Philly, they felt like you had to work for 90 minutes. So you know, the ice was shitty, yeah, excuse my language, but, uh, you know, it's just stupid. It's just stupid. You know, you want to know 35, 40 minutes, and that's what these guys do now. Now they do so much off ice. I th I've been told some teams hardly ever practice. Like once they get into February, they just, they rest. They time their minutes. They, you know, they know what to do off the ice. And well, they do take a lot shorter shifts than we did back then. <laughs> I, I watched, uh, zip, zip off, zip, zip off, you know. Um, anyway, yeah, no, it's um, it's interesting to see the evolution. But back then, the difference in, you know, what some teams did very well and some teams didn't was you know, quite obvious. But even Bob Ganey, I got to play for him for a tad. It was just it was just the mentality that we practiced so stupidly, like you know, hurting, like hitting each other and chopping each other and, and um that's you know so playing playing how you, you know, practice how you play is very good but it, it's more just the intensity and getting a good 35 40 minutes in my opinion um let the guys have free time to do stuff when you go through 60 and 75 minute practices for no reason just other than you feel like you're doing your job as a coach i think is kind of silly we touch on obviously calgary pittsburgh you mentioned philly uh minnesota was in there ottawa a couple of times and i think there was a cup of coffee in st louis too did you have a favorite stop along the way, Dan? Yeah, I, I, so I always say I called Pittsburgh home 15 years. Even though I got traded away in 91, I, I, I fell in love with the golf community there, and it was very affordable. Great summers. Uh, you know, nobody thinks of it. It's just a great place to play golf. Great topography and the rolling hills and some you know, great grasses, the green, green, you know, just Midwest kind of uh, bent greens were phenomenal. And, um, you know, Mary and I became really good friends, Spent a lot, played a lot of golf from 87 summer of 87 through 2001 until I moved to Florida full-time. So, um, Cal, you know, I, you know, I had a great time in LA, could never live there, but Pittsburgh, the, the, the couple, three years we had in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, I, I, I look back with regret in a sense that I played for four general, four coaches and three general managers. So, you know, my role with, with a guy like Mario, especially when we got cough changes with every coach, uh, being the second or you know third forward on the team, we broke in some great players. Kevin Stevens and Mark Rarecki came in and my that little group. We had Randy Cunningworth and Randy Hillier and uh, Zardy Zalapsky and, and uh, Billy Searn. and you know, I just I, we got Tom Barrasso came and I enjoyed, I enjoyed getting I could get along with Tom and um, it was just a good good hockey team. And in fact, you know we lost to Philly in '89. I think we could have won the cup that year, but it was just a little bit of inexperience for some of the guys that ended up, you know, bouncing back, you know, and then follow, you know, three, four years later to win a couple of cups, but it was a fun group. We had, a, we played hard. We had a good team. We had a bunch of guys getting a lot of points and it was fun. So I always said Pittsburgh would, yeah, definitely Pittsburgh would have been my, my favorite stop. When you look back, you just mentioned 89, you thought you might've had that team in Pittsburgh to win the cup. You were obviously uh, there in 86 with the Calgary flames. It is obviously the goal when you get to the national hockey league. Do you, do you look back on it as a, as a regret at all, not having captured that championship? Yeah, that's what I said. I mentioned, I guess, spoiled in Calgary, you know, you get to go to a seven game series against the Stanley cup champion in 84, you get to the finals in 86. I'm 20 years old, you know, and I played, I don't know how many playoff games already. And I ended up playing about 65, but you know, you think you're going to do it every year or you're, you're going to, and then, you know, I got to Pittsburgh, we missed the playoffs. Um, but then, you know, it, it was, I think I missed the playoffs twice. Yeah. So then we finally, we finally made it, you know, I had a good score. I think we played 11 playoff games. And I had like six goals and Mario played decent cough, played good. Um, we just had, a, and we, we had a, we just Philly kind of just got 
we got a game seven back in Pittsburgh. I remember in uh, Hextall, we'd gotten to him. He was all over the place chasing Robbie Brown around. We were scoring on him like Will. And uh, they played Kenny Reagan. Kenny Reagan stood on his head. And uh, there is game seven and beat us. And it was Kenny Reagan for sure. So, but yeah, I know you regret. And then I have, you know, my biggest regret. I got, I was so disappointed to get traded from Pittsburgh to Vancouver. Um, I get to Vancouver and I get to play with Trevor Linden as, as a young, young kid. And I just had a thing in my head because I was in that Smythe division that Vancouver was just awful. And we beat, you know, Calgary would beat the heck out of them. Um, you know, it was a gray town. We didn't stay downtown. We played out in that Pacific Coliseum. And the travel was horrendous commercially, Vancouver to Seattle, Seattle to Chicago, Chicago to St. Louis. It was just, I, I, I don't know. Anyway, I had a decent, I got there in January and we missed the playoffs. They, uh, they signed me that summer to a nice contract and made me captain, tri-captain. But my attitude just got so deteriorated so bad. I regret it to this day because they did treat me well. It, it you know, turned out to be, a, they ended up making a good, good playoff run the next year and, um, uh, but the way they treated me, I should have, I should have responded more professionally or, you know, with, I just got into play. I just wanted to get out of there. I just, I never, but I never embraced it from the moment I got there. Half of it was the disappointment of leaving a place I called home and a group, group of players I thought were special. But looking back when you're 57 to something you did when you're 27 is what we do. <laughs> no question about that. And it's, it's interesting too having conversations with a guy like you who, you know, who's junior hockey career, you were in Belleville now, almost, I mean, well, not almost 40 years ago, you're playing in the Ontario hockey league and it did with age comes wisdom, right? Yeah, no, I, I sat my son down uh, in May of this year. And I said, you know, uh, at that time I'm 56. I says, you know, I, I look back 40 years ago, this right now. And then about three weeks, I was going to become the first overall pick in the OHL draft with some guys that are in the hall of fame that I was drafted ahead of. I'm going to move away from home. And I came, you know, 16th in the Ontario amateur as a golfer that summer. I said, you're going to be 16 in a couple of weeks, which I tried to have a parental talk with my son. He's got a pretty good chance to be a good golfer. Um, so just about stuff he's got to change, you know, just some stuff to change and stuff. I said, unfortunately for you, I experienced that. So I'm not the dad that's going to tell you everything's all right when you don't do things the right way. And there's, I said, I've made more mistakes than 10 men. I, you know, I have some successes of 50 men, but I've made more mistakes than 10. So or the other way around, I had more success than 10, made more mistakes than 50, probably more accurate. But uh, yeah, you just don't know. And it, Again, I, as I mentioned, my, the whole OHL thing just kind of happened so fast. And I was playing golf. Next thing you know, I'm in Belleville and, you know, wearing Cooperalls. And, you know, it's just, I had to stay with, they put me with one house with three families, three guys, and I, that, that didn't work. So then I ended up getting the family that I lived with for the, the following two years, the Arthurs, uh, Bill and Charlene, who I reconnected with. They, they got a place down here in Florida. So that's, that's what sort of happened. But um yeah, it was, uh, it's, a, it's an experience that I don't know if you want your, if I want my kid to go away like right now at 16 and be in the heart of the OHL, which is what he would be doing. Uh, but it, it's, it was a, uh, and the league, and I think the league became uh, not so much, well, junior, but the NHL especially was really bringing in 18 year olds right away. If you could play, they wanted you. Um, and, and so I lived with a family my first year as well. But then I was 19 living with Al McGinnis. You know, we didn't know how to cook and eat. And, you know, so it was just a lot of stuff that I wish, you know, if I'd have known what, the, what I know now from a fitness, nutrition, um, it would be a lot different. So let's talk a little bit more about golf. Did you ever at some point, Dan, feel like you had to make a decision between pursuing golf professionally or hockey? Um, well, it's, yeah. So that summer I got in a couple of scholarship offers, but you know, there was no, uh, you know, from, from where we are there in London, Ontario was a great golf town as well. I moved there when I was 12, played at this public course called Thames Valley, worked there, worked summers on the golf courses. So for that four years, the minutes the, you know, the weather broke and hockey ended, I golfed every day I possibly could um, just fell in love with it. And until, until hockey started and hockey started, that was it. Um, Cause that, uh, but that was just the way it was, but to answer your question, it, it not really because you never, as an Ontario kid or a Canadian kid, at least in my opinion, in '80s, you knew it was a very long shot to go play, you know, professional golf. And um, and I remember, you know, I say this looking fast forward in 20 years, and a guy like Mike Weir who did what he did, and then winning the Masters, I think, is the greatest accomplishment. I know Brooke Henderson's doing some stuff, but one of the greatest accomplishments for any Canadian from, you know, where uh, Stratford or was it Stratford, Ontario, I think, and and to think that he could end as a lefty. So it's because it, you know, uh, there was no equipment. A lot of Canadians are golfers. I played hockey left-handed, played golf right-handed because there was not equipment for 
lefties back then. It wasn't TaylorMade and Callaway didn't make the stuff they made now for lefties, you know, so uh, putters and all that was few and far between. So it was very unique that um, to do that. I, I did go when I retired, Mike, and, you know, I, these celebrity tournaments popped up when I started playing golf at a high level because it was worthwhile to prepare for them. And I did go to Q school, you know, four or five times. I did almost get to the new US Open and, um, you know, I thought about it, but early, early, early in that I played, uh, you know, I played, I was actually, I'll say this too, that I'll toot my own horn, not because I played great, but I actually, as an NHL player qualified for what is now Corn Ferry, they played in Pittsburgh. It was the Ben Hogan tour. It was the first year of that tour in 92, I think, summer of 91 or two. And um, I Monday qualified and missed the cut. But in that field was John Daly and Steve Stricker and Tom Lehman, you know, guys are now had great careers. They were all in that field. And uh, I remember that pretty vividly fast forward. Anyways, when I played with the tour pros that I know, you know moving to Florida full time, you know, late nineties, spending time playing with them, I realized, it's, you know, I'm not, they're, they're just a different level, just like it's a different level when we play hockey. Sure. You were, you were caddying though at, at, you know, for like Ernie Els, for example, more than once at big tour events. Yeah, no, my, I, like I said, I went to Q school. I went took golf very seriously, you know, from when I retired in 97 and uh, played a lot of golf. Spent, took it, sponged it in, you know, watched, there was the Tiger era was just booming. I watched a lot of golf and, uh, you know, I was, I got to a good high level as a player, but I also played with players and, and also my, you know, my knowledge of golf, I was able to caddy, you know, with Ernie 60, 70 times, you know, played on all majors, you know, came third in the US Open, caddy for Cam Smith, you know, and I, I say that when I, you know, through the, when you retired, when I did, you had, if you're too young to remember probably, but the tech crash and then 9-11, you know, a lot of our nest eggs got chopped up pretty good. And um, so when I had, a, I had a good job in 07, 08, and that got eliminated when the subprime crash and that, uh, but I'd become friendly with some of these tour pros. And Ernie goes, Hey, why don't you come caddy for me, you know, for a couple of weeks. And the second tournament I caddy for him was in China of all places. And I'd never been ever in the East, but it was a big event, a world, world golf championship event that um, Phil Mickelson won. We came second. So you know, I made like 72 grand. It was like, I'll do this again. And so he said, we split the season the next year, had a great year. He won four times. So, uh, but I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have been out there with him because I was his friend. I had to know how to caddy. So sure. Uh, and I did it. And then because I'd done well for those three years and I was still playing this tournament, Lake Tahoe, it was a great life. It was a good, you know, good, good way to do stuff. Um, I ended up getting asked to caddy for a couple other guys, but I haven't, I haven't done it since 2015 really. So. The thing about golf and, and tennis, for example, that always, intrigues me is that you're kind of alone out there right i guess with golf you've got the caddy but is there any comparison dan from your experience to game seven versus the edmonton oilers and being in the hunt on sunday you know that's no there's no real similarity because you you don't have an opposition other than yourself at golf you know even though if you shoot the score you can't be beat so um in professional golf there's a lot of um factors that weigh into the success of a tournament, whether you got weather, if you played at seven o'clock on a Thursday and it's pouring rain and the guy that plays seven o'clock Friday when it's cold and you're, you're not warmed up and it's, you know, 72 degrees and it's sunny out. It's a lot, you know, so they'll draw, there's a lot of things that fluctuate in hockey. You know, you, you know what time you're playing, you're playing your opponent at the exact same time. You know, you're, you could be playing, you know, your, your tee times offsetting guys, you, you're not playing at the same time. Weather could change wind directions. And uh, so there's a lot of different factors that go into the, the eventual winner of a golf tournament, but uh, hockey, you know, you don't, you got, your, you got your coaches, you got your teammates, you're at the effect of a lot more people, whereas golf is very singular. And, you know, if you play well, you can't be stopped. Who was the best coach you played for? Um, be honest with you, I, I, I say there's three, I mean, as I said, I can't say poorly, speaks poorly about Badger Bob. He was a great coach uh, from uh, X and O's and a lot of stuff I learned from him. I became kind of a power play specialist. A lot of the stuff was because of his, 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 uh, the things he had in place. Uh, I love Bob Barry, my first year in Pittsburgh. And again, that's where I, I get sideways. These, some of these guys, they get fired and then, you know, they just had to do stuff. You missed, it was just automatic. You missed the playoffs. Rick bonus was a great coach. I didn't get to play for him a lot, uh, unfortunately because of Randy Sexton, but um, I gotten back to Ottawa. I was playing pretty high level and they, they fired Rick when I had a broken hand, but, and then he's still working today, you know, so him and uh, Elaine Vino were the coaches in Ottawa. And I said, but Rick, was, I liked Rick. I wish I could have played for him for 10 years. Um, and then uh, Terry Murray in Philly I had for a little bit. He was, a, he was a pretty good coach, I thought, too. So 
Um, I had a lot of bad ones, though. <laughs> I mean, when, whoa. What yeah. stands out? What What makes a bad coach? Well, you just get they get hired because of what they did in some other league, and they get in the league and they don't know what they're doing. You know, right? And, uh, you know, Pittsburgh. You know, Pierre Creamer. I mean, these guys never worked again. You know, so it's not like you know guys that didn't work somewhere for one year and then got then went had, they didn't work at all. They never played. You know, Ottawa brought in they get rid of bonuses. When I got in Davy Allison, it was just no idea what NHL was about or how to do stuff. But you know, it's a lot different now. It just there was. You know, there was just a different era and there was good coaches and it's learning to coach is an evolution as well. I mean, it's different athletes and different mindset. I mean, it's just like being a parent. I mean, I didn't have a cell phone. Now I got to watch my, my son. It's got like a part of his body, you know? So there's a lot of things you got to deal with um, that, you know, changes with every era. Right. Given all of the experiences you've had in sports, if you were put to the question that the choice being, a Saturday night at the Forum in Montreal or a Sunday at Augusta? What are you going to choose? I'd probably say Sunday at Augusta. You know, um, I got to caddy. In the, well, depending. I mean, as a fan, you know, I can't say what I would like. I mean, I could do, depend who I'm with. That's sort of a, you know, you want to be with friends. You're going to do whatever. Everybody's going to be having a good time. I did caddy the Masters. Um, real quick story in 2010 for Ernie. He'd won two tournaments just prior with, and we we're doing a bag share. So there was a lot of pressure on me uh, to do a really good job. I couldn't wait to get going. Like I was so prepared and I couldn't wait to give him his first yardage in the first hole and say the right thing in the first tee. And uh, we, we shot 69 with a, a double on a, on this, or an 18th hole bogey free till through 17. But I remember I was just so focused on it. It was so fun to be inside the ropes prepared. Like I, it was, I felt like I was in a hockey, like it was just the same preparation that I, had done. I'd walk the course in the mornings of the tournaments. Um, and it was, we finished 18th, you know, made double in, in the first round, second round and the third round. Otherwise he would have had a really good chance and Mickelson ended up winning, I think, but it was, um, it was just a real fun part of this post-retirement and reinvention of so many things I've had to, you know, try and do, but to be inside the ropes was, was a lot of fun just to, you know, I was nervous in the mornings to go make sure I did everything right for him so he could play well and he wouldn't have anything to worry about. And that I had the right information when he asked questions, the right attitude, the right amount of intensity, the right amount of, you know, being fun. You know, there's, it was fun. There was a lot of fun to, to try and do that. Um, post hockey. You know, we were talking earlier about the wisdom that comes with age. Do you, do you sit back Dan at any, you, you know, you talked about watching that, uh, that uh, Canada cup, video uh with a glass of wine the 11 12 minutes on youtube and just enjoying that do you ever think back on the kid from ottawa that has done so much been to a stanley cup played in the battle of alberta friends with wayne gretzky played with lemieux you know bagged for ernie Els. i mean do you think back on everything in a and and just take it all in as as what you've accomplished over over your life in sports probably doing these podcasts but when yeah. doing guys like yeah, me that say tell, tell me stories it was dirty because then there's, you know, the thing that I probably wish I didn't put so much credence in, but it was cool and I could win it. And I love, it kind of was my love, of, you know, 19, 1991, I got invited to that celebrity golf tournament, at Lake Tahoe uh, for the first time. And I went out there and I, I came third, but I, I didn't play good on the back nine on that Sunday. And I was so determined that if I got back in next year, I was going to win it. And so I was an active player in the NHL. I shot three under for three days for 54 holes. And I won, uh, is one of the only current athletes to ever want it still to this day, 30 years later. Um, but my love of, you know, being in that environment, you know, golfing. And even though I, I a lot of us think, you know, I know I, I have at least, I've talked to a lot of hockey athletes, you know, some guys think they're better than they are and they go play in these other minor league tournaments. And, and I just realized the difference quickly. And I never thought that way, uh, but I played in that tournament for 23 years, winning it five times. Getting to my point, you know, 94, you meet Michael Jordan, you know, you're, you're in these environments where you're playing practice rounds with these guys and, you know, obviously Mario and Wayne and all of the different uh, levels, Johnny Bench. I can remember so many people that I met over the years, Mike Schmidt um, in those tournaments in that, at that event. And that was kind of a, uh, and then coming to Florida and meeting, becoming friends with John Daly and Jesper Parnovic and Ernie else at, you know, at periods and pockets and meeting a lot of guys. It just was, it is kind of when I look back, uh, overwhelming and, and you try to you know wish you could have done certain things differently and how you monitored a lot of the stuff but it's just it's sometimes it's surreal yeah 
You talked about your son at, at 16 getting into golf. Was there ever any, uh, any interest in hockey growing up? So we, he's born and raised here in Jupiter, Florida, Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, right here. So uh, to answer your question, what happened? I got invited and uh, I got unexpectedly, I wasn't going to start working with this, this kid I worked for in Europe in 2014 named Eus Luton. So I'm caddying. So anyway, I got a nice email from the NHL that uh, they had a, wanted me to go to Columbus for some reason. So I'm like, well, is this a trick? Because you guys haven't reached out to me ever. But I guess because it was in Columbus, they could, didn't have a big alumni and they wanted a couple of ex guys to go to uh, do some stuff, you know, on the Saturday, Friday and Saturday. So I said, you can bring my son. He's eight years old at the time. And I mean, I'll tell you, I, I guess, so he stood there, he, he watched the mascot game. He, he couldn't, he couldn't take his eyes off. And then he's eight years old again. Dad, can I play hockey, please? So I got him home and uh, it was, that was January or something. I got him home, got him some, a bunch of equipment and uh, yeah. So he played, you know, and he loved it. And the spring program I did was kind of high level for Florida it was, I said, I'm not doing this coaching all year, but I'll do uh, the spring program where I had kids come and try out all over, from all over the state. I do some Saturday trainings five, six times in the spring, and I take them to two tournaments out of the state. So we did that for two years, and then the third year got canceled. So he loved that. Yeah, he, he loved it. And he was, uh, we, you know, and I did a lot of extra stuff for other people. So I'd take my son to, I, I was going to give a lot of dads that always ask me to do stuff like six, six, six a.m. mornings. He, he was, you know, four years ago, three years ago. Well, we stopped last three years ago, but. Man, he loved it. It was fun to watch. Yeah, he loved it. But he's not, it was no, there's no future in it. It's very hard for kids in Florida. It's, uh, as I say, it's just a challenge to get out of the state of Florida and play at a different league and, a, you know, a prep or a USHL. Then, you know, to, there's very few kids that are born and raised in Florida that, you know, shockingly, and, and it's sort of a challenge that are born and raised and haven't been because of the success of Tampa and uh, Florida. It's just hard. It's a very big commitment for parents to get kids to that high level. Also less risk of a concussion if he's golfing. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, but he got, uh, uh, he was, I, I had him doing both and doing other stuff, but he, it, and he was 13 when COVID hit and that, uh, Florida was pretty li- loose. So we had a first tournament like in June of that year and they, you know, they did all whatever these crazy things with the, the couldn't rake bunkers and stuff, but he got to play tournaments that summer and he really took to golf and, and he, he started just started growing. So he started to hit it further. So it was great. And it's, uh, it's a big commitment these last two years, but he loves it. He works out. Um, it's all he does. And uh, yeah, so he just yesterday uh, while we're talking, he shot, he was, you know, the high school champ, high school regionals to go to States. He, he was medalist, shot 69 and made seven birdies at 16 years old. So he's way better than I ever was. Hits it a mile and, and he's got the, you know, they got the golf specific and stuff that, you know, I wish we would have known. I was always afraid to do push-ups in the summer and I wouldn't be able to swing a golf club. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> the truth is like, because you would get sore. We didn't work out. So we you do something one day, oh, I can't even move the next day, you know, but now there's so much stuff and so much information on how to do it better. Yeah. This has been uh, speaking of information, a wealth of it coming from you, a guy that's done so much in the game, really appreciate you making time to do this with us and, and share some stories. Thank you very much. Thanks. And good luck to you in the OHL. <laughs> Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.